Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. We're going to play you a clip here. Uh, Toronto police have raided a storefront or storefront pot shops that believe that they believe are selling marijuana illegally. Protesters have called the move ridiculous. Uh, and, and basically, a lot have asked, uh, and, and Bill Blair has commented on this, a lot have asked, well, you're going to legalize this and decriminalize it anyway. Why are you, between that point and this point, arresting people? And the point is, is that the government is going to control the distribution of this. They're going to do it the way they say they are. Just like the LCBO and the beer store. So these sort of shops may not even be legal anyway once, the, once it is legalized. So what we have is a gray area between now and legalization. What are they going to do? Stop enforcing any law? That gives criminals the next, however, several months to make a fortune. That's why they're doing it. It's got nothing to do with the people receiving the product. It's got nothing to do with, well, we're going to legalize it anyway. No, how do they stop mass influx of crime between now and when it is finally legalized? That's my guess. Let's bring in David Hyde, security consultant, David Hyde and Associates. At first, we're going to play you this clip. This is outrageous over a zoning bylaw. Hundreds of people yesterday were arrested because of a zoning bylaw. This is outrageous because this plant has never hurt anybody. This plant has saved millions of lives and saves them every day. All right, that begs the question, are people getting the medical marijuana from street side shops? David Hyde is with us now, security consultant David Hyde and Associates. Hi, David. How are you today? Great, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, Your response to what that protester had to say? Well, I mean, I think it's a matter of law, Scott, and it's a matter of competing narratives. And the bottom line for your listeners in terms of the law in Canada is there's only one means of being able to access medical cannabis for, to treat medical conditions that a doctor has prescribed or has um, you know, found suitable for a patient. And that is through the MMPR program, the Medical Marijuana Regulation through Health Canada by the federal government. And they, they restrict the, the production of uh, uh, medical cannabis and the distribution of it to a certain number of licensed producers. They're across the, there's 31 sites now. They're across the country, and they must meet rigorous quality controls, security controls, suitability testing for the owners and directors and the, and the money behind these, these places, and a number of other, you know, there's audits and there's inspections, and a very rigorous process that frankly costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time. That's the legal background, Scott. The two competing narratives are, in the old days, there, there was nothing in place. And patients who needed, had a rightful reason, they had a bad car accident, they were fighting certain diseases that conventional drugs weren't working for. They found solace in cannabis. Cannabis is a lifesaver. I totally agree with the protester that was making those comments. But the thing is that that was 20 or 30 years ago. Now what's happened is, you know, the old um, civil disobedience and people were, you know, exchanging on the black market and and some people using it needed it for medicine. Now there's a government-run program. It might not be perfect, Scott, but you can, anywhere in Canada, you can get a doctor's prescription. You can get that mail-ordered cannabis to your home uh, discreetly that will have the right amount of, let's say, THC, which is the one that creates a little bit more euphoria and obviously more problematic, or CBD, which is one other aspect as well in there, 
you can get the right uh, you know, dosage for yourself, and that can be diagnosed. These dispensaries years ago may have served a purpose to a degree when there wasn't a legal system, but now what's happening is, Scott, there may still be in the dispensaries a couple that, you know, a few, that have got, uh, they have the heart in the right place. They're trying to help people who perhaps can't afford to pay a certain price or that it was very more convenient for them, although it's still illegal. But the bottom line is, many uh, opportunists, frankly, have moved in. You've seen the undercover TV exposés on this throughout Toronto and other areas. There are people that are selling cookies and brownies and gummy bears with marijuana, cannabis in them. There's no quality control. People are making a lot of money. There's no regulation. There's no tax. This is the reason why these things were shut down, Scott. Why do people think that once this is become will become legalized, that this is going to be a free-for-all? That's almost like saying during the days of Prohibition, before it became legalized, we're going to let everybody make and sell booze. I mean, what well, makes people yeah. think that it won't be controlled like a beer store or an LCBO in some way? And, and Scott, it will be. The, the reality is that the Jane Philpott, the Justice Minister made an announcement back a month or so ago saying that we will have, uh, you know, table legislation by April of next year. Many people think that that means there will be a law that will come in place legalizing cannabis in Canada at that time. It won't be. It'll be at least the summer, perhaps the fall, by the time that bill works its way through various readings into any kind of a law. And what the law will say, and the government's made it very clear, the contours of it, it will be a strictly regulated program entrance into the program to to distribute to sell to produce marijuana recreationally in a similar vein to the medical program will have to meet suitability standards they obviously can't have connections into organized crime or have unscrupulous sources of financing to these places they will need to meet quality control standards and pay their taxes and meet any provincial and municipal ordinances that are in place, which I'm sure will kind of come out in, par- in, in parallel to this. So this is what's in the future. And unfortunately, the announcement by the government has kind of emboldened some folks who were maybe thinking about maybe one day opening a dispensary when things become legalized. If they use a dispensary model, that's still up in the air. Um, people have thought that because they did it in Vancouver, and the Vancouver dispensaries until recently were really left alone untouched by law enforcement and the municipality that they thought they could do it here and the toronto police have taken a firm hold they've put their foot down on these dispensaries which essentially again scott legally i'm I'm putting aside the narratives here legally they're breaking the criminal code by selling cannabis which is has been illegally provided to them uh, on the black market to a certain degree um, to, to patients. Some of these people may need this, Scott, but there is an opportunity for them to avail themselves of the legal program that's in place currently. And frankly, Scott, last thing I'll say on this is the argument has always been that the licensed producers through Health Canada charge more than the dispensaries. Right. Um, you know, I'm seeing the prices these dispensaries are charging. It's being published all over the, the media, $8, 10 $12 a gram. That's more expensive than the licensed producers. Compassionate pricing from the big licensed producers is five, six bucks a gram, Scott. Hmm. Uh, will these places be able to sell like they are, or will, like they are now illegally? Will they even be able to sell once it's legalized? I mean, it, it's just like they just assume that this is, you know, because, like you said, I got a store, I'm going to set up a shop, I'm going to sell it here. Uh, will any of these places be legal under the new law? Do you think? I mean, my guess is no. 
Well, Scott, that's a big question right now, right? On the on the on the one hand, we have you know distri- we have the, the production of the cannabis where it's going to be grown and cultivated and processed. That's one piece that will be obviously strictly controlled. What we don't know coming up, Scott, is the extent to which the distribution will go through provincial channels. More than likely, will it be an LCBO type model? Will it be a beer store type model, or will it be um, private retail as alcohol currently is distributed in some? areas where you can actually distribute this. And I apologize for the noise in the background. I'm setting up at a cannabis uh, uh, conference today, Scott, and I've got a little bit of noise here, but I think you can you're listening yeah, to hear me. Yeah, no worry. Um, Keep going. Yeah. So essentially, it may well be, Scott, that these dispensaries are going to be allowed to continue, but they will need to meet rigorous qualification criteria. Their ownership will need to be screened to a, to a government kind of level to make sure that they meet certain bona fides. They'll need to have their cannabis provided, not by an illegal source, which is the way it is right now, but through the legalized market. And that's what I believe may change, will change, if they are to be brought into the legal system, Scott. So, you know, I, I know that none of this is set in stone, and there's still lots of experimentation and, and, and lots of, uh, and lots of uh, debate going on as, as to what is going to happen. But how do you think this is going to play out? What, what do you think it's, is, is going to be the distribution model? My guess, Scott, is that it's going to be a model that has a, a, a couple of different pieces to it. I don't see just a, a single platform here. I mean, first of all, we know that the Pharmacy Association has come forward in Canada and um, put their, themselves forward as the appropriate means of, on the medical side, certainly, right. to be able to dispense. And I think that goes without saying. There's a system in place. There are professionals in place. We're talking about dosages. And this is, this is, this is after all, a medicine. Uh, and, and, and a drug as defined under the UN treaty. So that's appropriate. Now, in the future, Scott, down the road a bit, you may see some recreational cannabis appropriately sold through drug, through, through drug stores, possibly, through that kind of pharmacy-type model. But I think out of the gate, the people that know a lot about this, that are talking about this, believe that it's more, it, it will be provincially regulated more than likely. The feds don't have the ability, and nor really, you could argue, the mandate to, as you see with alcohol, to actually um, have a say over how it's distributed provincially. Right. So it will more than likely fall to the province. And so what we're, Kathleen Wynne's already on record saying that she believes that an LCBO-type model is appropriate. Will it be in the LCBO stores? Will it be a store beside that using the same real estate? Will, it, will there be a cannabis control board that's struck that kind of does a similar thing to the LCBO? And then eventually, will they allow some storefront dispensaries, much as they do with craft, some of the craft beers? You see some of it in grocery stores. Ultimately, Scott, this is going to become more normalized. And my view down the road is there's going to need to be multiple avenues of distribution. The mail order model that's working right now for the medical market is preferred to some people. Some people don't want to go into a pot shop to buy their cannabis. They much prefer to go and get it discreetly via mail order. All of these options should be open to people, Scott, when this is fully legalized. Uh, this period between now and when these announcements will actually be made, is crime flourishing right now? I'm sorry, Scott, can you repeat that? Uh, the time right now between, the, the, the space of time between now and when this actually does become law and we know what the guidelines are, is this an opportunity for organized crime to flourish? Well, I mean, obviously, I think that the, 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 the folks that are on the organized criminal circle, Scott, are obviously watching this very carefully. Again, when you look at these narratives here, um, one narrative 
on this is now that all these pot shops have seemingly been closed down or, or you know, these raids have occurred and, and, and I doubt they're going to reopen, uh, you know, and the police are going to have cracked down, of course, you could see two things happen. Firstly, we could see a, a wave of these patients that used to get their cannabis from these stores going into the legal market. That's what should happen. And there's no reason why it can't. There's plenty of capacity and the system can, can, can accept that. However, um, you're going to see criminals who also have um, a, a supply of black market cannabis are going to be looking for opportunities to find those people or to be available to those people to sell. And you may see a small uptick in the black market sales of cannabis as a result of the closure of these stores. Again, Scott, this is an illegal practice. The stores are not allowed mm -hmm. to sell these, these products. However, there are patients who, for whatever the reason, do not want to go through the government-mandated program, and they're going to go somewhere else. And the question is here, um, you know, down the road, can the government find a way to weave in some of these dispensary-type establishments that would serve a purpose, but that would take away all the unknowns that are in place right now, Having 100, 150 of these dispensaries throughout Toronto operating with impunity, no licensing, no taxation, no oversight, minimal quality standards, um, the security standards, the, the staff safety, all these things that are part of the mandated program, Scott, is just too big of a risk to bear. Hmm. Will legalization get rid of the organized crime element of, of this industry, or will the black market still be there, just undercutting what the government, uh, what the government provides? I think, Scott, it's, if you look at tobacco, you look at alcohol and a few other areas, probably tobacco is the best one. Of course, there, are, there is counterfeit tobacco here, and it's quite an issue in this province and elsewhere across Canada. There will inevitably be some, some, counter, some black market uh, distribution uh, of, 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 of cannabis, there's no question. But the issue here is, if, if the government can keep the affordability piece intact, not tax it so high that it becomes much more palatable to go to the black market. So it's a balancing act. If the government gets that prescription right, I think there's a real opportunity here. Once cannabis becomes more normalized and there are multiple avenues of access, I think there's a real chance to put a big dent in the black market. All right. Um, you know, let's not, let's not forget, Scott, that they often um, marijuana, accessing hash and pot and things through these dealers can sometimes lead you to harder drugs and can be an entry point into other types of drugs. So if we can, make, if we can keep that recreational side into bona fide establishments where they don't have to go underground and be exposed to those kind of elements, then I think we're all better off. Uh, what uh, I, I want to ask you before we're out of here, because we've only got about a minute left, uh, nothing related to what we've just been talking about, but we've heard the story of Kevin Vickers, the former House, uh, the former House of Commons sergeant in arms that, have, that, of course, was involved when the terrorists attacked there and, and took the terrorist out. He tackled a protester at a Dublin uh, a ceremony, a ceremony in Dublin yesterday, uh, where he is over there and, of course, uh, conducting his duties over there now as an ambassador. What are your reactions? to his reaction to the heckler. He basically, a, a person came up, he grabbed them, and, and they were disrupting the ceremony, and he took them out of the ceremony. Overreaction or normal reaction for someone of his background? C certainly a normal reaction for someone of his background. However, Scott, he is a dignitary representing the Canadian government, so there's a certain decorum that you would want to keep in play. I was commenting on this yesterday on the TV news as well, and it seemed to me from reviewing the video that the man that was approaching 
Um, he was kind of approaching hurriedly towards the podium. He was not being stopped by any security, so he managed to penetrate that cordon. There's some evidence to suggest that he was even allowed to be there, so he was admitted to the area somehow. But either way, he's up off out of his feet, he's running forward towards dignitaries, he's opening his shirt, uh, and so who knows what he's going to do. It turns out he was showing a T-shirt with some kind of a message on it, but at the end of the day, when you take this in totality, it was a bit of a breach of local security not to have been able to have people there to immediately put hands on this guy and neutralize that threat. So in the eyes of Kevin Vickers, he's seeing somebody approaching the, hurriedly, yelling and shouting and opening, opening up their shirt. In my view, that could be interpreted as an active threat, and I have no issue with what he did at all, given that he was probably thinking the age in which we live, Scott, the risk of terrorism. He's in Ireland, of course, where threats of these kinds are there as well. Again, I, I can't really fault what he did there, Scott. David Hyde has been with us, security consultant. David Hyde and Associates talking about Toronto Police raiding storefront pot shops. And, of course, uh, our ever-heroic Kevin Vickers, uh, former House of Commons sergeant-at-arms, tackling a protester at a Dublin ceremony. David, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend. You too, Scott.